You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. We are in Judges. We will get there. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read this. If you've looked ahead, our chapter today in Judges chapter 20, if you want to just go one place, it's Judges 20, but if you can follow, come to 1 Corinthians 5. It's a rather lengthy passage in Judges, so we're going to just going to work through that uh, kind of as we go today, but I wanted to, to bring this to light before we get into that. We've got a picture from last week. Is Kaylee here this morning? Kaylee, right? Yep. So where are you? Yeah, there, are you down there? There you are. Okay. This is Kaylee from last week. We looked at a rather terrible instance. We won't go into details, or some will come out a little bit as we look forward in Judges, but, but the land, uh, the city of Gibeah. And we talked about both, both the sinner in wickedness and the sufferer come to the cross. That's who we need is Jesus for that reconciliation and for our adoption as sons and daughters of the King. So thank you, Kaylee, for drawing that last week. There's others up on the board. Thank you for all who who draw on these things. Let me look through God's Word, and let's look at 1 Corinthians. Look at 5. We're going to look through just 1 through 13, and then we'll get to our passage in Judges. Just hear God's Word here first off. It is actually, Paul says, it's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that it's not even tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's pray. Father, we're in uh, the land of Israel once again in a time of darkness and yet a time of you being still at work in what we're going to read. Lord, there is evil amongst us, outside of us, around us in this world. 
may it not be so among us, knowing that every heart we are prone, as the song says, to wander. And we still battle that flesh within us, but we thank you that you've conquered that in Christ and by your Spirit dwelling within. Would that same Spirit now guide us as we think on this and we think on your Word and we think on the people of Benjamin and Gibeah and Israel today. May you lead us through this, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, you can turn back, if you're not already there, to Judges then, chapter 20. Judges chapter 20, we're gonna, we'll start in the beginning here. There is one quote, and uh, I've heard this quote before, not really remembering who said it. I couldn't remember if it was Calvin, but it's John Owen has said this. Maybe you've heard this quote before. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. That's the quote. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And we would do well to heed those words, and so would Gibeah and Benjamin of where we were at last week, and we continue now in their account today. And like I said, because of the length of our passage, we're going to look at this, but just kind of break it up in chunks. I'll read, make some comments, and we'll go forward. I do want to bring up, uh, Caleb, you can bring up the first map on here. We can just leave this up here so you get kind of an idea of where we're at. Here's Gibeah, and right away in verse 1, we're going to see Israel gathering at, at uh, Mitzpah here, just north of, of Gibeah. You see Bethel and Rimon. We'll, we'll look at that as we go along, but that can give you an idea of, of where we're at. So last week we studied this great wickedness in Gibeah, the men of Gibeah, Word has gone out via that concubine. Remember how that went. It's in the last few verses of of Judges uh, chapter 19. And now Israel begins to gather. So let's come into our text, verses 1 and 2. So here it's come out. Now we're gathering. It says, Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man, to the Lord at Mitzpah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. In essence, they're saying from Dan to Beersheba, one commentator said it's like saying from Maine to Florida, it's the, it's the outlying of the country. Gilead was, was to the east and so we get a picture that Dan in the north, Beersheba in the south, this is all part of all of Israel. It's shorthand to say they all came to Mitzpah. But look at the end of verse 1 it's itself. Just the end, they came as, you see this, as one man. We're going to see it along the way. You're going to see it in verse 8. They come as one man. Verse 11, as one allied man. So there's emphasis here. And, and at this point, we would commend Israel in, in light of the condition that everything is in, where it's backwards and it's no king and it's everyone doing right in their eyes. At least they're gathering for a, a good purpose here. They're united against the sins of Gibeah. Word has gone out and they've come. We're going we're gonna to watch what happens here. Uh, but Dale Davis comments this and asks a question. Now, why, he says, why couldn't Israel ever get that united against the Canaanites or the Midianites or the Ammonites or the Philistines. Why is it that when Israel can really get itself together, it's against Israel? 
And he's just making a, a point there. They are together, they're unified, but it's within. It's going to be a tribe here, as we're going to see. So with all this focus on the one man and everything, look at verse 3. Now, the people of Benjamin, remember that's the tribe where Gibeah is, the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mitzpah. And the people of Israel said, tell us, how did this happen? It's implied here. It's implied Benjamin, they, they, they heard the call. They got the same message and they do not respond. And it's going to clue us in to future events. We're going to see it unfold here. But, but for now, there's a question before this assembly and really the Levite. Just how did all this happen? And the, exclamation, or the explanation comes to us in verses 4 through 5. Let me just read it to you here, this explanation. Here's the Levite, verse 4. The husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. In in one sense, this Levite, he's refreshing us. It's what we've already studied last week in chapter 19. He's making this case before Israel. You want to know the evil that happened? Here's what happened. And the, the author seems to make, he, he's making clear here that it was the men of Gideah who, <coughs> excuse me, they murdered this concubine. That, that's what actually happened. But verse 5 shows this Levite, if you look in your detail, it shows the story's not, not exactly the same as what we just read in the in the account last week in Judges 19, verse 22, just doesn't quite match up. We don't hear, see here the Levite admitting, yeah, I'm the one that threw the concubine out to these wolves. That's, that's not mentioned. It's just they were going to kill me, and they took her and violated. It's a, yes, I don't know they were going to know him. To kill. Some things just seem stretched. Again, Dale Davis sees this as this Levite kind of stacking and hiding some of the facts. And in the land of where everything's backwards, there there is no outcry, at least recorded here, of Israel itself saying to the Levite, why did you do Yeah, yes, Gibeah, they're wicked, but why did you let her out to them? And, And to the old man, why did you? And it's assumed maybe the old man is here as well. Why did you do this? Why did this happen? That's not here. Again, one more. Davis says this, and I think it's interesting because it pulls together the scope of the wickedness of the time. Because we're going, why isn't that included? And it's just this. And, And we're commending Israel. Good, I think they're gathering to come against. Here's what he says. He says, Uh, on basically the scope of Israel's wickedness. It certainly is not confined to Gibeah's city limits. The wickedness is not just Gibeah. It says most every actor on the stage displays this twistedness. Whether the concubine who was unfaithful, we're reaching back, but chapter 19, verse 2 says she was unfaithful. Or the Levite who looks out for number one and selectively manipulates his facts, like we saw here. Or a tribe, that's going to be Benjamin, who they'd rather defend Sodom, which is Gibeah, than practice justice. 
And here's these three words that he says here. Perversity is pervasive. It's throughout. And the, the little snippets, there's no king in the land. They, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I think it's, it's spread. Even though we're, we're at a, there's, there's, a, there's a, a glimmer of hope here for actually they, Israel recognizes wickedness, and yet it's pervasive. Well, the Levite concludes in verses 6 and 7. He says, so I, so I took hold of my concubine, I cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. And here's the accusation. This is it. that There is abomination going on. There's outrage, and this calls for action. Now, we see some of this. I think if we put together some pieces of Deuteronomy, we see that this action is justified. One, I think, of the most helpful is Deuteronomy 13. If you want to go there, it's just a, it's a book or two back here from Judges. And look up Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 12. And I think you'll see here a plan to deal with worthless fellows. Remember these sons of Belial that were in Gibeah? These worthless fellows is going to come up in Deuteronomy 13 as well. So look up Deuteronomy 13 and let me just read 12 through 18. Before Israel has come into the promised land, these are, this is the direction of God through Moses to the people. Get this. If you hear, verse 12, if you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, what? Verse 13, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction, all who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its spoil into the midst of its open square and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of His anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as He swore to your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all His commandments that I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God. You see that back there? There's certain worthless fellows. And they have said, what have those fellows said in Deuteronomy? Let us go serve other gods. And I think we can tie that into Gibeah. Is, not that, is that the heart of what they're doing? Yes, there's the, the perversion, but they've left their God totally for the perverseness of their town. They are serving another God. And so it's an outworking, the perversion in Gibeah, it's an outworking of a godless and dark and wicked city and the call, devote them to destruction. As Paul said, purge the evil from among them. All right, well, we're back in Judges 20. Now we're in verse 8. So give your advice. What's your counsel from the Levite? Here's what they've done. We've looked at the background. What, how are they going to respond? 8 through 11. And all the people arose as, there it is, one man 
saying, none of us will go to his tent and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we'll do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot and we will take 10 men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel and a hundred of a thousand and a thousand of 10,000 to bring provisions for the people that when they come, they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. The people arise, and there it is again, one man in unity. They declare, we're going to act. We're not going to turn aside. We're not going to go home. We must deal with this. Outrage has been committed, and they render the judgment here. And they're going to provide what seems like a a listing there that says we're going to provide supplies as well. It's just let's stock up because we're coming against Gibeah. And so they gather. But before, before just all-out battle breaks loose, they're going to they're gonna make a plea, and they're going to make a plea to the, to the tribe of Benjamin. Look at their plea here. It comes up in the first couple verses of the section. Look at verse 12 and a little bit into 13. It says, And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now therefore give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. The call here is for Benjamin. I I think at this point, we're not going to come against, just give up the, the worthless ones. Give them up to us. They deserve it. That's the first call. We, we want just the ones that committed this act. And the desire here is to, is to purge uh, this evil from among them. They want to cut off the source. Again, this, this purging of the evil, it's not, not just an Old Testament idea. I think it's an idea we saw, we just read in, in Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.13. In, in light of what we see them, I think we can make some parallels. In light of what we see in Israel in the Old Testament, we can see in the church in the New now, are we going to literally burn down cities? I don't think that's the call. But certainly deal with sin. That's a New Testament call. It's not just, boy, they were kind of harsh. It's, it's still here. It's purge. It festers. Don't let it fester. But what about Benjamin? Benjamin is more inclined to, defi- to defend her tribe than to honor the Lord here. And so let's read on. Look at verse 13 where we, we kind of stopped mid-13 there. Let me just continue on. It says, But the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. That's significant, isn't it? What, uh, we're not going to listen to you. All right, verse 14. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were here it is again. We remember uh, Ehud, right, left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. 
So Benjamin refuses the offer. No, we're with Gibeah. We're going to muster together against Israel. We will not give up Gibeah to you. And so Gibeah itself has 700 of this, this uh, I think Davis calls them an elite force of, of lefties here who can sling a stone and not miss a hair. So it, it's a formidable force. Yes, Israel's got their 400,000. I read of the, the hills, and you can kind of see it on our map of, of this, that just having a massive amount of people doesn't necessarily mean victory because of even this and hills, and you got like snipers, 700 of them, who can sling well with their left hand. And so there's issues there with that. But look uh, further here, and I think what we're coming to in verse 17 through 19 is really the the fulcrum. We talk sometimes about where the passage, one hinge point. I think this, this in some ways is it and is insightful for us. Look at now 17. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. The people of Israel rose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God. Who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Then the people of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. So Israel heads up. You can see Bethel kind of north there of where they'd be in Mitzpah, maybe five miles north, something like that. We're going we're to see the Ark of the Covenant is right there in Bethel at this time, and they're going to make an inquiry of God. And the question is, who's going to go first? And at this point, we hear God answer, and we have not heard from God. We've heard from Him in His Word, but Him speaking in the text since Manoah, father of Samson. That's the last time we actually heard Him speak through the angel that we heard God speaking there. But these are the first words, and... I, Is this not interesting in a land with no king that here this kingly tribe where the scepter will not pass is Judah, and God says, Judah shall go up first. Judah first. And if that sounds familiar, it it may or may not. We're thinking a long ways back. Look at Judges chapter 1. Just go there real quick. That's an easy turn. Head to the first two verses of this entire book. This is significant as well. There's some similar language here. Similar answer, actually. Look at Judges 1, now 1 through 2. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Who's going to go up for us against the Canaanites? Who's going to go up for us against the people of Benjamin? And here, in a land with no king, Judah is chosen first to go. But we've also, in a sense, as this book ends, this book on on either side, we've come back full circle. And the contrast, what's the contrast going on here? In the beginning, Judah was chosen to go against who? The Canaanites, those bad Canaanites. And now, who are they going against? Benjamin, their brothers. Benjamin's has become Canaan. Benjamites, Canaanites, 
go up first Judah against them. This should sink in of the what's going on among these tribes. Remember Israel. This is Israel who God rescued out of slavery in Egypt. He's cared for them in the wilderness. He's brought them through uh, the Jordan River on dry ground. He's brought them into a promised land. Battle after battle, they've won and they've conquered the territory. And His people have turned aside from their God. And they've become the very same people that once possessed this land. That's, the, that's how bad it is. So, again, we're not in an outside world thing. We're looking, he, this is Israel. This isn't just people that don't know. They know, and here they are. Well, as we've seen, I don't think it's just Benjamin who needs purging. The whole, hand, the whole land, as we've talked about, without a king, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. It's, it, and the rest of this is going to sound a bit like Ai. Remember Ai in the book of Joshua? Israel goes up to battle against Benjamin, and, and they're going to face their own defeat. Let's take the chunk here, verse 20. Come in 20 here. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. So now they're encamped against Gibeah. We're heading out. The men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. And the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. The people of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the, the Israelites. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening, and they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. Israel loses 22,000 the first day and defeat. They are defeated, but they, they do take courage. They form a battle line, and they ask again, Lord, are you... Sh- Are you sure this is the thing we're supposed to be doing? And the answer comes again, yes, it is. And look at day number 2, verses 24 here, down to 26. So, day number 2, what happens? Yes, the Lord says, go. Verse 24, so the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Once again, they faced defeat. It's 18,000 this time. They go up, interestingly, the whole army to Bethel and they weep. But this time, something is added in the text. They fast and they offer up offerings. And I I think we have a picture here from what I study and see. This is repentance. There's a repentance going on, not of Benjamin. We don't see that. We see it of the people of Israel here. One other commentator, his name is Arthur Kundal, Kundal, says this, the two classes of sacrifice, burnt offerings and peace offerings, showed both their repentance and their desire for reconciliation which would restore their communion with God. 
you know what's going on here? Let me just, let's put it in New Testament language. They're getting the log out of their own eye. Use that phrase sometimes. Get the Matthew 7, get the log out of your own eye first and then deal with the speck in your brother's eye. This is getting the log out. This is getting the log out of their, their own eye. And so they inquire again. Verse 27 now. Look at this through 29. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And here's these great words in here that we see from the Lord. The Lord said, Go up. For tomorrow I will give them into your hand. Here we come across Phineas, and we may not be super familiar with Phineas, but I think he's, he's a bit like the Martin Luther. We've been just through Reformation time. He seems like a little bit of a Martin Luther, the priest of the time. Reform was Phineas' kind of forte. That's what he was about. Remember uh, back in Numbers, Psalm 106 tells this about this instance in Numbers where, where this Phineas who is now here serving past Eliezer and Phineas does this uh, and it says this in Psalm 106. It says of Israel, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds and a plague broke out among them. Then who comes in? It's Phineas. Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was stayed. Phineas is that one that comes in against the wickedness of the land and deals with it and cuts it off. And here's the same Phineas in charge here, the people inquiring of the Lord again, shall we go once more? And we find these comforting words of the Lord, yes, I will give them into your hand. So if you can remember back to Ai and the instance of, of that and Israel losing ground and they find out that it was Achan who had took the devoted things and they figure that out and, and then they come up with, with victory. I think the same thing is going on here in a way. So it's interesting the parallels. Gibeah looks like Sodom and now Israel once again kind of looks like Ai. Get things right at home first and go out to battle. Get them right, the log, and then go deal with that brother in wickedness. Purge the evil. And so there's, there's this imminent judgment of Benjamin and there's the, the graciousness of God to even bring about Israel, I think, to repentance here as well. All right. Well, we're at verse 29. And I'm going to go ahead and just read 29 till the end. And Dale Davis, again, kind of helps us understand. I'll stop midway to kind of help reset us, but I think there's, he's talking about there's a broad view of what happened in the battle, and then it kind of narrows down as well. Caleb, can you bring up the next, the next picture here? I just want to show this to you, okay? So this is a simplified version. This came from Dale Davis, actually, but here's Gibeah to the south, Mitzpah, Geba, Rock Rimmon. You'll hear that as I read. But that gives you an idea of the direction of the flow if you're in a reading and understanding that sort of thing. But let me read to you just this last portion here of the actual what happens in the battle. Much very similar to Ai. 
And let's read it starting in verse 29. <clears throat> so Israel sent, set men in ambush around Gibeah. The people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the, now the third day and set themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And as other times, they began to strike and kill some of the people in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. And in the open country, about 30 men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, they are routed before us as at the first. But the people of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal, Tamar. And the men of Israel who were in ambush rushed out of their place from Ma'ara, Geba. I think that's Geba. Yeah, there's Geba right up there. And there came against Gibeah, 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and the, and the battle was hard, but the Benjamites did not know that disaster was close upon them. They, it would have done them well to remember Ai, but they didn't, and they, they took the bait, and they were lured away. In verse 35, and the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the people of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. That's the broad view, and now a few more details. So it's almost kind of reset again a little bit of the ambush and come back into the text again. Verse, well, we're midway through verse 36. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. Then the men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gibeah. The men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel should turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 men of Israel. They said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. You can see the repetition here. Verse 40. But when the signal began to rise out of the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and behold, the whole of the city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were dismayed, for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. And those who came out of the cities were destroying them in their midst. Surrounding the Benjamites, they pursued them and trod them down from Noha as far as opposite Gibeah on the east. 18,000 men of Benjamin fell, all of them men of valor. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon. 5,000 men of them were cut down in the highways and, and they were pursued hard to Gidom. And 2,000 men of them were struck down. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon and remained at the rock of Rimon four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, men, and beasts, 
And all that they found, and all the towns that they found, they set on fire. Again, verse 35, I've got underlined in my Bible. Once again, it's, is it the ambush? Our Sunday school class should say, no. Is it the 400,000? No. Is it their supply chain, great as it was? No, it's the victory has come from the Lord who defeated Benjamin. And, let us add, wickedness has been dealt with. But in a civil war like this, do you really celebrate? that This wasn't the Canaanites that they defeated. This was their own brothers. It was not an enemy from without, but an enemy from within. Two thoughts just as we, as we close on this. I know it's a lengthy passage. Two thoughts I want to just bring out. The first one is what we've already been talking about today. Purge the evil from among you. The Lord dealt with Israel and with Benjamin. And I think the, the burning and the fire here can be a picture for us of the greater judgment that will come upon all wickedness. Hebrews 9.27 speaks. It says each man is appointed to die once and after that comes judgment. And a righteous and holy God, He will ultimately bring judgment on wickedness and evil. May we fear this God of judgment who will judge sin for what it is. It's wickedness and evil of all, of all men. Those in Christ, we listen again here, Paul's admonishment for the church in this as well. Not just, again, for those on the outside. A little leaven that leavens the whole lump. Each one of you, you claim, if you claim Christ as your Savior, you are responsible for how you live before a holy God. Each one of us, to not just look and go, at least we're not like Gibeah. At least it's not that bad. It's for us to look internally at each of our hearts. And may it be your desire to set the Lord apart as holy. We know this from His Word. And then, and then what? To confess our sins. And let me just encourage you just even a little more specific. Should someone confront you on a sin or the elders come around and say, what about this? Can I just encourage you, do not be like Benjamin and side with the evil or like Gibeah and fight. Instead, hear the graciousness in that call. We often our, our pride comes out and says, I'm not, what? God's graciousness is to come through people. That's, that's part of, we're here to encourage and it kind of goes, it's encourage, yes, be built up and this is sin in your life. Flee from this. We want to be about that as well. Remember John Owen's quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. May we purge the evil among us in a, in a God-fearing gentleness of Christ and yet truth-speaking way. But then secondly, so one, purge the evil from among you. Secondly, though, on the heels of that is pursue Jesus, the great high priest. To pursue Jesus. Fini Phineas here, I think he's a, just a breath of fresh air. He's, he's a priest who's the real deal. And I don't know how he was living at this time. I, I imagine he was, he was living righteously at this time. I think he's a, he's a man of faith. 
But he too, even though all that could be said, he's a, he's a sinful man, and he did not continue in his office. Phineas is not in office today. But there is one who does continue in an office to represent, to go before people, sinful people, to the Lord. We have a high priest, Jesus Christ. He's holy. Hebrews says he's innocent. He's unstained. He's separated from sinners. He's exalted above the heavens. And he holds, Hebrews says, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And so because of this continuing priest, we who are prone to wander, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so in our weakness, if we examine it, that's why we don't have to be scared about examining ourselves or others to point out evil and sin and say, thank you, as hard as that is, by God's grace, may we look for that But we can come and we can confess and we can walk in fellowship with God. Not because we'll just, okay, I'm just going to, I won't fail from this time out. And and then we're flat on our face again. It's because of Jesus Christ. We have, 1 John talks about an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. May we be a people who takes wickedness seriously to learn from this, to see the judgment, to see the unity around it, And yet to purge the evil, pursue Christ in that. Let me pray for us. Lord, it's by your grace that any of this would take place. And it's by your grace working among us. Your grace is sufficient even in our our weaknesses and in our sin because of the great penalty paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, we who know Christ, and I imagine some here running in the opposite way. They've heard of Christ and running away. Lord, would you, by your grace, run after and pursue them to bring them back. And Lord, give us wisdom as a church body to encourage one another and to be bold enough as a church family to purge that evil among us, to welcome it, but also to be brave to do that. Lord, this is, these are hard tasks. These are not just easy, and I pray that we would do it with your wisdom and not just foolishly, but with your wisdom, Lord. And we would pray for this. And then, Lord, may we be a place and a body that pursues Christ, our high priest, above any other thing. May we not look to any other God. May we praise you in our lives here, looking forward to an eternity with you forever. We ask this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.